1: So, last week we began chapter 3 in this uh, small book by Thomas Watson, All Things for Good. And chapter 3, the chapter is about why why all things work for good. And so we, we started that last week and we're going to continue this week. <clears throat> last week... Uh, we discussed the grand reason why all things work for good is the near and dear interest which God has in his people. And we talked about the new covenant uh, that we have. We talked about the different relationships we have, um, the analogies of relationships that we have to the Lord. Uh, he is our physician. He's our father. He's our husband. He's our friend. Uh, and he's the head. We think of Christ as uh, the head of the body. And so we we discussed all those, and now uh, today, uh, this evening, we're going to be Going further, and the number two is uh, uh, the vision that he has here is inferences from the proposition that all things work for good. So things that we learn from the fact that all things work for good. Number one, if all things work for good, hence learn that there is a providence. Things do not work by themselves, but God sets them working for good. God is the great disposer of all events and issues. He sets everything working. His kingdom rules over all. It is meant of his providential kingdom. Things in the world are not governed by second causes, by the counsels of men, by the stars and planets, but by divine providence. Providence is the queen and governess of the world. There are 3 things in providence: God's foreknowing, God's determining, and God's directing all things to their proper outcomes. Whatever things do work in the world, God sets them a-working. We read in the first chapter of Ezekiel, and I don't necessarily agree with his, uh, <laughs> his interpretation here, um, but we read in the first chapter of Ezekiel of wheels, and eyes in the wheels, and the moving of the wheels. The wheels are the whole universe. The eyes in the wheels are God's providence, and the moving of the wheels is the hand of providence, turning all things here below. That... <clears throat> Excuse me. That, excuse me. That which is by some called chance is nothing else but the result of God's providence. Learn to adore God's providence. Providence has an influence upon all things here below. God's providence mingles the ingredients and makes up the whole compound. Okay. So we'll come back to that in a second. And just by way of reminder, as we go through this, feel free to uh, ask questions, make comments interact it always helps to flesh out some of these things and i know that you're thinking about it so i feel better and uh, make sure that you're fully understanding it so he says that all things uh, work for good and they do learn that there is a providence that there is a providence that uh, is ruling all this and and god is uh, behind that providence obviously he it is god's providence his kingdom rules over all and so he talks about God's foreknowing and God's determining and God's directing all things to their proper abode. He mentions about Ezekiel, and it's interesting. I, I tried looking at it and, and trying to see how I felt about that. And he's not, I wouldn't say he's entirely incorrect, uh, but you know, it's hard when you get into some of these prophetic books and some of the, the symbolism there and um, what is it actually meaning. Uh, I was looking at another commentator and he was talking about that chariot and, and the wheels beneath the living creatures and, and the Lord is above them. And he says the mobility of the wheels suggests the, uh, um, the omnipresence of God, the eyes, his omniscience, the elevated position, his, his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. So there's certainly that idea behind it. Um, if you want to see it, you know, when he gets very specific on how he thinks each component of the wheel and what it represents. Uh, but the fact is, it does demonstrate that God is sovereign over all his creation. And he does have the, the knowledge. <laughs> he, has the, he has the determining factor in his ordination of all things, his decree of all things, and, and directing all those things to come about. That's providence. So he's not entirely off. I, I, you know, we just nitpick over certain things. So I don't know how you uh, you guys feel about that. Any questions about that part? Um, His, his main point there was that just to understand this isn't, um, he says that which is by some called chance. Uh, There's no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as coincidence. It is the Lord's providence uh, in all things, right? He's sovereign over all things. I hear providence, what it means. Um, It's a reference to how God controls the world, you know, how he he conducts things in the world. He mentioned uh, up here. Three things in providence, God's foreknowing, God's determining, and God's directing all things to their proper abode. So uh, we talk about God's foreknowledge. He knows everything. Um, we talk about God's determination or his, his decree. He decrees all those things which come to pass. And that's, you know, we're kind of distinguishing it as categories, but like it's really, it's all wrapped up in one. Um, His foreknowledge is wrapped up in his decree. He knows all things because he has decreed all things. There are people who would look and say, oh, you know, God looks down the corridors of time, and then he decrees. And we would staunchly say, no, that would be incorrect. God does not learn, you know, like we learn. His knowledge is perfect. Um, He does not react like we would react to things. Uh, He decrees those things, and he works through... um, he works through a number of different causes, uh, second causes. He works through free moral agents, in one sense, uh, free. Um, you know, we hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession. And if you look through the Confession and you go to uh, one of the early chapters, says God's decree, and it kind of spells it out. But it's basically how he, he governs the world. Does that make sense? He's omnipresent. He is everywhere, right? Um, you know, uh, Paul was talking about one of the, uh, the pagan philosophers, you know, who, you know, the poets, who says, you know, in him we live and move and have our being. And he was attributing it to a false God, but Paul says, yes, <laughs> the Creator, in him we do live and move and have our being. He is all in all, and he is everywhere. So omnipresent is he's everywhere, uh, omnipotent is he's all powerful, he can do whatsoever he desires, right? And omniscience is he knows all things. And so God is, he's omni, he's everything, he's all in all. That make sense? Okay, very good. So we're learning that he has providence and we should adore providence because what this is saying is the, the title of the book where he's expounding on one verse in Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8:28 that all things work for good for those who love God, and providence is how God makes all things work for good. His ordering of all those things that whatsoever comes to pass, He uses them for our good. Um, the first chapter was talking about the good things that work for our good. The the second chapter that we covered over a number of weeks was talking about the worst things: affliction and temptation and and desertion. Uh, Those things he uses for good. And now he's talking about the why and the how. Any other questions? Okay. Number two. It says, observe the happy condition of every child of God. All things work for his good. The best and worst things. Unto the upright arises light in darkness. The dark, cloudy providences of of God have some sunshine in them. What a blessed condition a true is a. My screen is much darker than yours. (laughs) What a blessed condition is a true believer in. When he dies, he goes to God, and while he lives, everything shall do him good. Affliction is for his good. What hurt does the fire to the to the gold? It only purifies it. What hurt does the winnowing fan do to the grain? It only separates the chaff from it. God never uses his staff but to beat out the dust. Affliction does that which the word many times will not. It opens the ear to discipline. When God lays men upon their backs, then they look up into heaven. God smiting his people is like the musician striking upon the violin, which makes it put forth a uh, a melodious sound. How much good comes to the saints by affliction. Like bruised flowers, when they are pounded and broken, they send forth their sweetest smell. Affliction is a bitter root. But it bears sweet fruit. It yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Affliction is the highway to heaven. Though it be flinty and thorny, yet it is the best way. Poverty poverty shall starve our sins. Sickness shall make grace more helpful. Reproach shall cause the spirit of God and of glory to rest upon us. Death shall stop the bottle of tears and open the gate of paradise. A believer's dying day is his ascension day to glory. Hence it is, the saints have, their, have put their afflictions in the inventory of their riches. A child of God, say, if I had not been afflicted, I would have been destroyed. If my health and estate had not been lost, my soul had been lost. Okay, I think that's... I oh, will come back. Okay. So it says, observe the happy condition of every child of God. That is not talking about their emotional state. <laughs> you know, um, Keep in mind when, when the, the Puritans talk about uh, some of their language is a little bit different than ours. Um, but when he's talking about the happy condition of them, he's talking about their reality, their, their happy circumstances, and the fact that everything works for good, the best and worst things. He says even the dark, cloudy providences have sunshine in them. Um, Psalm 112.4 Uh, The ESV says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And so Thomas Watson makes the point that when we die, we go to God. The thing some people fear the most, right? They'll go to extreme measures to do anything they can to preserve their life, um, even at the expense of others. The believer says, when I die, I go to be with Christ. And that's far better. All right, uh, but even when we are living, everything that we have happen to us is working for our good. Affliction is for our good. Those those difficult circumstances is for our good. He says, "How does fire hurt gold? It just brings out the purity of it. It gets rid of that which isn't good." And the same for the grain. Um, you know, when God is using His staff, when He is giving us chastening, discipline, it's only for our benefit. Um, he makes a mention of. Affliction does that which the word many times will not. It opens the ear to discipline. Uh, you know, sometimes the Lord is communicating to us and he has communicated in softer, gentler ways. It's, it's right there in the word of God. It might have been in the uh, counsel or admonishment of a friend. And if we don't hear that, sometimes the Lord brings about consequences for our actions. And then all of a sudden we're paying more attention. So even in that difficulty God is working for good because he's sanctifying us. He's helping us to, to finally hear him and understand and, and respond the way we ought to. Questions or comments about that? No? Fairly straightforward? And we kind of talked about this when he's talking about the, the various things about affliction. Um, this was covered a lot in the second chapter when we, when we went through affliction and how it works for our good so that's probably pretty familiar okay so number three see then what an encouragement there is to become godly all things shall work for good oh that this may induce men to fall in love with piety can there be a greater lodestone to piety can anything more prevail with us to be good than this that all things shall work for our good piety is the true magic stone which turns everything into gold Take the sourest part of religion, the suffering part, and there is comfort in it. God sweetens suffering with joy. He candies our wormwood with sugar. Oh, how may, uh, oh, how may this bribe us to godliness. Acquaint, your, acquaint now yourself with God and be at peace. Therefore, good shall come unto you. No man did ever come off a loser by his acquaintance with God. By this, good shall come unto you, abundance of good, the sweet distillations of grace, the hidden manna. Yes, everything shall work for good. Oh, then, get acquaintance with God, espouse his interest. Make sure I have another. Okay. Um, it says, all things work for good. It goes, what an incentive there it is, uh, therefore, to love holiness talking about piety holiness to godliness if those things if that's working for our good, how much more we want to to be good uh, but it's also when he brings up the um, that passage from job uh, the ESV says agree now with God agree with God and be at peace thereby good will come to you so again the the way he 's using here is as opposed to um, it's not off, you know, to to get familiar with God, to know God. Um, You will be at peace if if you understand, and good will come to you. But he says there's so many good things that come from it. Uh, The holier we are uh, when we grow in sanctification, uh, we become holier. uh, When we conform more and more to the image of Christ, when we're in agreement with God, and when we're progressing in our understanding and happiness and joy, as we see all things are working for good. So, this should encourage you to want to grow in your sanctification. Because if you're growing in your sanctification, your mind frame, your, your understanding of life and all that's involved is going to be in agreement with God, with his word, what he says. And you're going to see this. You're going to understand it. You're going to embrace it. And you're going to be happier for it. Um, much more good will come to you, especially when you're understanding uh, things truly and you'll be able to rejoice uh, so it, it's encouragement to us to become more holy and recognize the benefits that come from being holy. Additionally, and I, I wonder how many people would realize this, um, maybe it's harder in this day and age, but it, it's a means by which to witness, you know, um, to explain how things work in God's economy. If, if someone sees you going through a difficult time and, you know, your circumstances are, are clearly humanly difficult, you know, you, you're you 're sick you 're suffering, uh, you had a death in the family, you had a, a financial loss, you could be any number of things, but you seem to be at peace or you seem to even be joyful even in difficult circumstances. Well, how is that? And you can explain, I know that the Lord is using this for good, and it 's another contact point where we can talk about the glory of God, the goodness of God, that even in our difficulties. We have peace. We, have, um, we can even have joy. Um, and that's something that's just strange. <laughs> that's strange to a, a world that doesn't put their trust in God. They're only finding happiness in their circumstances. And so when things are good, they're happy. When things are bad, how can anyone be happy, right? Um, and so when we recognize that God is using this for good and we're able to share that with others... It's another point of, of being able to witness. Make sense? Okay. Any questions or comments? No? Dr. Well, I saw, saw that hand, and she was just scratching her head. <laughs> like, nope. Okay. Says so number four. Notice the miserable condition of wicked men. To those who are godly, evil things work for good. To those who are evil... Good things work for hurt. Temporal good things work for hurt to the wicked. Riches and prosperity are not benefits but snares to them. Worldly things are given to the wicked as Michael was given to David for a snare. The vulture is said to draw sickness from a perfume. So do the wicked get hurt from the sweet perfume of prosperity. Their mercies are like poisoned bread. Their tables are sumptuously spread, but there is a hook under the bait. Let their table become a snare. All their enjoyments are like Israel's quail, which were sauced with the wrath of God. Pride and luxury are the twin offspring of prosperity. You are waxen fat. Then he forsook God. Riches are not only uh, like the spider's web, unprofitable, but like the cockatrice's egg, pernicious. Riches kept for the hurt of the owner. The common mercies wicked men have are not lodestones to draw them nearer to God, but millstones to, drink, uh, to sink them deeper in hell. Their delicious dainties are like Haman's banquet. After all their lordly feasting, death will bring in the bill, and they must pay it in hell. That's very serious. Um, a couple of... When it talks about luxury there, it's not talking about luxury the way we think. I mean, you're thinking of prosperity, you think of luxury, but an archaic definition of luxury actually was uh, referenced as a lechery or lust. Um, so you think about pride and luxury in his terminology. Well, we still understand pride now, and you could say self-confidence and self-indulgence. These things that are, you know, humanly speaking, good things. It's, it's good to be rich. It's good to be prosperous, you know, if you understand those blessings Properly, that those things um, are tools, they're resources to use for god 's glory. Um, but for the wicked, they 're a snare. Uh, it says worldly things are given to the wicked as Michael was given to David. So if you 're familiar with that account where um, not that David was wicked, but the idea was that Michael uh, saul 's uh, daughter was given to David as a wife, and he was hoping that she would be a snare to him. Um, does anyone know why Michael might have been a snare to David under those circumstances? Who knows First Samuel nobody okay <laughs> no one no one wants to all right, I'll try to give you something. Um, Michael was saul 's daughter, and uh, the David was a poor <laughs> a shepherd right, who was, you know, rising through the ranks in the military and, and having all sorts of favor with God and with man. Um but he said, I don't have anything to offer as as a bride price, you know, and, you know, any sort of dowry or anything like that. And he goes, Well, just get me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines <laughs> and avenge my, avenge me on the Philistines. And so he has to go and kill a hundred Philistines and he brought him two hundred instead. Um, not to mention just sometimes when you get caught up in the uh, uh, domestic <laughs> domestic duties of life, your attitude towards warfare and stuff can change. Also, Michael, as we know, um, was not extraordinarily faithful to the Lord. Uh, when David had to run and flee, you know, she used a household idol, it sounds like, uh, the household image she put in there. So maybe it was a statue, maybe it was a an idol of sorts that she had and she put in the bed to pretend it was him and of course later on she despised him when he's dancing before the lord and she ended up being barren for the rest of her life for her uh attitude towards god towards david and so michael was given as a snare that's really a lot more information that you need to know for this but just trying to give you something to think about but i don't want to leave you hanging um so yes so good things can be a snare to those who are wicked anything that would actually you would think would be a benefit to them ends up being something that god uses to to judge them later on because he's shown them grace he's shown them kindness and instead of being thankful they use it and they turn it into more sin any um any questions or comments about that Yeah, yeah, you... exactly. Yeah. No, no. There's times where it seems like the the wicked are prospering, right? Um, and we see that even in the in the Psalms at times, where the psalmist is the crying is like, "How long are they going to get away with this?" And 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 Lord, won't you wake up? Won't you act? You know, um, uh, one psalmist says, "I <laughs> my foot almost slipped," but then he went to the house of the Lord and he recognized what their end was going to be. But in the meantime, yeah, it sure seems like they're having their day and, and they're having everything that they, uh, they could possibly want. Haman thought he had everything. <laughs> you know, he was the king's right-hand man. And, oh, look, the queen thinks I'm wonderful and invited me to the feast, just me and the king. And the next thing you know, he's getting hung on his gallows. Um, that bill, uh, the bill will come, and they will have to pay it. But uh, sometimes it goes on for a while. Go ahead.
0: Well, also, uh, David was anointed king, mm-hmm. but for many years, and he did get to sit at the, the king's table with, with King Saul uh, at, on occasion, but all those years in the caves mm-hmm. and running and uh, in the city of the Philistines and pretending to have to be mad, and mm-hmm. he, wasn't, he was anointed king, but he wasn't given the luxuries mm-hmm. for a long time.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, and keep in mind, when I talk about the luxuries here, we're talking about for the wicked, it's a snare. Um, he was saying that there are certain things that are good, but if you don't have the right attitude, if you don't love the Lord, it's to your destruction. Um, but those things can... We have to be careful that it doesn't cause us to go astray. This was the warning to Israel, right? You're going to have all this prosperity. You know, you're going to have houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant. And he goes, and you're going to forget me. And that's what they did. They started thinking... I accomplished all this on my own, you know, and they did not give glory to God. They did not have a thankful attitude towards God. And it was used towards their, um, to their detriment because they had become wicked. But yeah, um, next one, spiritual good things work for hurt to the wicked from the flower of heavenly blessings. They suck poison. He says the ministers of God work for their hurt. The same wind that blows one ship to the haven blows another ship upon a rock. The same breath in the ministry that blows a godly man to heaven blows a profane sinner to hell. They who come with the word of life in their mouths, yet to many are a savour of death. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy. The prophet was sent upon a sad message to preach their funeral sermon. Wicked men are worse for preaching. They hate him who rebukes. Sinners grow more resolved than sin. Let God say what he will. They will do what they desire. As for the word which you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto you. The word preached is not healing but hardening. And how dreadful is this for men to be sunk to hell with sermons. He's got a few things to say here. Um, prayer, well, he's got a few different psalms. I'll take it a piece at a time. We talked about, mentioned this on Sunday, uh, just in talking about the divisiveness of Christ, the divisiveness, divisiveness of the word. Um, and he says that here, you know, the same wind blows one ship to the haven, one to the rock. The, the, the sermon can bring one person to heaven that saves them and sends the other person to hell. It just hardens their heart. Uh, Paul says in, in Corinthians that, you know, we're the aroma of Christ, of Christ to God, among those who are perishing and those who are being saved. He says, to one, we're the fragrance of death to death, and to the other, life to life. Same message, same Christ, same truth. And yet for some it's what saves them. It, it's the power of God. And for others, this blessed, glorious, good news only hardens their heart more, makes them more resolved in their sin and sends them to hell with greater punishment because they are responsible for the truth which they have been exposed to. Uh, you know. James talks about not becoming teachers because we'll, inquire a stricter, we'll incur a stricter judgment. And the reality is, um, was it Francis Schaefer? Who said that sometimes being a witness to someone is, is one of the worst things you can do for them because you, you take the top off their house, you know? And so they're fat, dumb, and happy inside, and everything's fine. And now you take the roof off, and they're exposed to the truth and all the elements and all, all of the world. And you can't put that roof back on. They're, they're stuck with that knowledge. I mean, the fact of the matter is they're image bearers and they're going to be responsible to the Creator regardless. But those who have been exposed to the gospel, who have heard the good news, who have heard the preaching, they're even more responsible because they have heard the truth. Uh, they've, they've received even more blessing, which for them turned into a curse. Continuing on in that same uh, vein, spiritual good things working for hurt to the wicked. He says, prayer works for their hurt. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. A wicked man is in a great strait. If he prays not, he sins. If he prays, he sins. Let his prayer become sin. It were a sad judgment if all the food a man ate should breed diseases in the body. And so it is with a wicked man. That prayer which should do him good works for his hurt. He prays against sin, and sins against his prayer. His duties are tainted with atheism and fly-blown with hypocrisy. God abhors them. The plowing of the wicked is sin. And so prayer is working to their hurt. They're told to call upon the name of the Lord, but they can't do it. In, in their flesh, they can't do it rightly. And it's actually further rebellion. He says it's atheism and it's hypocrisy. Um, and they're sinning even in, in, in what they do. And so... Again, they're experiencing uh, these things to their hurt. He says, The Lord's Supper works for their hurt. You cannot eat of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do not provoke the Lord to jealousy. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Some professors kept their idle feast, yet would come to the Lord's table. The apostle says, Do you provoke the Lord to wrath? Profane people feast with their sins, yet will come to feast at the Lord's table. This is to provoke God to wrath. To a sinner there is death in the cup. He eats and drinks his own damnation. Thus the Lord's Supper works for hurt to impenitent sinners. After the sop, the devil enters. And of course, that's referring to Jesus and Judas. Thank you. Where um, Judas, he says, I'll dip the bread in and whoever I give it to, that's the one who's going to betray me. And so Judas takes what Jesus gave him to eat, a a sign of closeness and communion and relationship. And he eats it, and the devil enters into him. And he goes out and, uh, of course, betrays Christ and ends up dying by his own hand and um, spending eternity in hell. And so we've also, every Lord's Day, when we partake of the supper, we fence the table and we say, be careful of not examining yourself and, and eating and drinking judgment to yourself you know if we examine ourselves we will not have to be judged but if we don't the lord will judge us questions or comments about that before we with our last one here it says christ himself works for the hurt to desperate sinners he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense he is so through the depravity of men's hearts for instead of believing in him they are offended at him the sun, though in its own nature pure and pleasant, yet it is hurtful to sore eyes. Jesus Christ is set for the fall as the rising of many. Sinners stumble at a Savior and pluck death from the tree of life. As strong medicines recover some patients but destroy others, so the blood of Christ, though to some it is medicine, to others it is condemnation. Here is the unparalleled misery of such as live and die in sin. The best things work for their hurt cordials themselves kill and so of course we've talked about cordials before and that's to be used as medicine something to help the body to cheer the body um and here's the best medicine for us the only medicine for us in christ um and yet he's a he's a stumbling block he's a rock of offense He was quoting there from Luke, talking about that he was going to be appointed, or he was appointed for the fall and rising of many uh, there in Israel and around the world. So the medicine of salvation, but for some, they have a fatal allergic reaction to it. And so even Christ, uh, who is the very, very best, the only begotten, um, he works to the hurt of them who are wicked, who reject him. So, Any questions or comments? on all of this no (laughs) erica's like got nothing for you (laughs) that's okay erica's always pulling everyone's weight around here she's like i'm sorry i let you down (laughs) that's okay (laughs) no that's all right um hopefully all this is clear i mean when you're going through this you know we're in chapter three and so some of this stuff is a little bit repetitive and it's just further entrenching these things in our mind and making it clear um We'll talk about next time uh, just the fact that one of the things we struggle with the most as believers is unbelief and impatience. You know, we're, we're very prone to be discontent with our circumstances. We want other things. We want things to be different. We want other things. And it says if we understand, you know, if we're like that, we're showing that we don't really believe this verse, you know, because if we believed it, our actions would be more in line with what we profess we believe. Our thoughts, our beliefs, drive our actions. And so if we're seeing that, we're recognizing we're struggling with unbelief. And so he's writing this whole book to expound on this verse and to explain all the different angles, all the different approaches to looking at it so that it will be firm in our minds, entrenched in our thought processes. It's our filter to look at our circumstances and say, ah, this is working for my good. Ah, this is working for my good. And to take comfort in that and to thank God and to bless God, uh, to rejoice. And and it will change how we view life and how we respond to life. And it can change. It'll grow us in our sanctification and it will make us more effective in being a witness of Christ to others. Zach. All right, I have a question. I don't know if I'm going to be able
0: to ask this right. So, So before it said that God...
1: But like, um, doesn't listen to he, he doesn't like he doesn't listen to sinners' prayers, right? Mm-hmm. But we all we all sin, right? Oh, okay, I don't understand. Is that the confusion? I got yeah, you. Yeah, I mean we all we all still sin. Like, does it mean like people that are just like hypocrites or yeah?
0: Or he listen does he listen to people that sin on accident? <laughs> like I don't get it.
1: I got you. No, that that's a good question. um So yeah, everyone's a sinner, right? Um, We're all guilty, and even those who have have come to Christ and recognizing Him as Lord, as Savior, and looking to Him for the forgiveness of our sins, we still struggle with the flesh, we still sin every day. Um, But our identity now is in Christ. So while we sin, we are in Christ. And so He hears our prayers, and He's pleased to answer our prayers. And when it comes to the wicked, those who are not in Christ, when it says he doesn't hear or he doesn't listen, I mean, keep in mind, this is, um, he's explaining something when he says it. It's not like he's like, can't hear you. It's like, you know, like, well, I, I can hear Chris, you know, because, you know, he's, he's believed on Christ, so I can hear his prayers. And you know, this person over here is just like, I see their mouth moving, they're just muted. He hears their prayers, um, and he's sometimes even merciful to answer the prayers in the affirmative and give them what they have asked for, but when he 's doing that, first of all, the, the person who 's in rebellion against God has no right to expect God to answer their prayers, um, and they should understand that but the the person who receives that positive answer right that affirmative answer, maybe they were asking for healing for themselves or someone else, or they 're asking for circumstances to to turn this way or that. If they pray to God and God answers their prayers, they should be having thankfulness in their heart and they should be looking to submit themselves to the one who has saved them in their moment of desperation and give them the, you know, the desires of their heart. If they refuse to do so, if they just say, okay, thanks, you know, like the, 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 the foxhole prayer, like, oh, Lord, you know, if you save me out of this, I swear I'll, 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 I'll live my whole life for you. I'll do whatever it takes. And then the crisis passes, they live, and they go home, and they forget all about God. All they've done is they got their life for a time being, but they have greater wrath being stored up for them. So the Lord hears their prayers in one sense, but he's under no obligation to pray. And if they're asking God for anything and refusing to submit to him, to recognize him as Lord, and to act in a way accordingly with that all they're doing is storing up more wrath for themselves you know it's, it's more sin on their behalf to actually ask something of god and get it and not love god the way he tells them to love god does that make sense yeah. alex i want
0: to just add to that that in the bible in romans it also talks about the concept of that we don't know how to properly pray to God necessarily, even in our Christian state. Mm-hmm. So the Spirit of God actually takes our our words, which are, you know, we stumble over our words, we pray incorrectly, and actually um, makes them presentable to God. So He's kind of, the Spirit kind of interprets or is the mediator to present the prayers to the Father, mm-hmm. basically. And a person who is outside of Christ wouldn't have that mediator. A mediator aspect mm-hmm. to speak on his behalf, mm-hmm. not our behalf.
1: Yep. Yeah. Anyone else? just I, I was thinking of James. Um, you know, he says, that, um, if
0: "Anybody likes wisdom him master of God." But mm-hmm. uh, if he asks with doubting, you know, he's a double-minded man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, when a, when a sinner prays, uh, it, it's really a matter of the heart. God sees. You know people's hearts, and um, if they're not sincere, if they're not praying according to his will, mm-hmm. he's not going to answer their prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he is, and if he's doing it with humility, um, then God will be the center. You know, mm-hmm. um. I think. Oh, sorry. The, um, no, no, no. I think Zach's question is why is one. So let's just, for example, you have two people that are unsaved. Mm-hmm. And one person prays, save me. And he gets saved instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And the other person prays, save me. And it's delayed or denied for a time, whatever that means. What is the, I think Zach is asking, how does that, what's the change that happens that God hears one pray, Lord, you know, I got tons of bills, I can't pay them. And mm-hmm. God provides, and the other one prays the same prayer, but. Mm-hmm goes bankrupt and he is a Christian. So mm-hmm. I think Zach, So Zach's question, what is the minutiae in that? Mm-hmm. And we're talking specifically about salvation and the changing of the heart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So God, in his, in his providence and his sovereignty, says, okay, I'm going to save Zach. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's a, he's my child. Christ specifically died for him. Right? For knowing, providence, mm-hmm. and all those other good things that God has in his sovereignty. Zach's going to get saved. Mm-hmm. Be Mike. I don't get saved, mm-hmm. and God's perfectly just to leave me unsaved because I'm I'm wicked and evil. Mm-hmm. And yet He changes Zach's heart from a heart of stone and wickedness and evilness and an enemy of God. He makes him a child of God and changes his heart to a heart of flesh. Now Zach wants to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. He wants to do things. Now he's a child of the King. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we know that God He was slain before the foundation of the world, and in Romans eight, the golden chain explains how we're called and saved and justified. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, and born again. Right. Now, being a child in Christ, God will hear Zach's prayer because he's a child of the kingdom of Christ, specifically after Zach. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key that Zach's trying to, to zoom in on. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm being a little bit more exact in how that's happening because mm-hmm. now Zach's a child and I'm not. Mm-hmm. So we could pray for the same thing. I, hey, Lord, I need some finances and now mm-hmm. I'm left to go try, try to how he broke. It could work the other way, where Zach gets that way broke. It forces Zach to need to come closer to Christ to be more holy and more sanctified. Right, but his prayers are being answered because he, because God's purpose is to conform us to His Son. Exactly, I think right. that's a determinative factor, Zach. That why is one person the exact same prayer is answered mm-hmm. and one's not. Either you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. Mm-hmm. Being in Christ is entirely different. Right, and your prayers are answered specifically to what you need, mm-hmm. not what, not what you want. I think that's I think that's what Zach is trying to get at. Mm-hmm. You're trying to understand why it's one and one is not. So mm-hmm. that's really important. To differentiate two kingdoms.
1: Mm-hmm. So. That's a good <laughs> Oh I God, everyone's going now. Um, go ahead.
0: Well, when I heard your question, Zach, I was thinking about how how are we defining a, a sinner? So like although Christians may still sin, their desires should now be changed where they don't want to sin. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's kind of that's kind of where I was. Yeah, like how do you define yeah, exactly? How do you define a sinner? Like we all still mm-hmm. sin, right? Well, I guess it's like you're saying like a sinner would be somebody that's just a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. That's not really following the commandments. Mm-hmm. And kind of just like praying to Jesus. It's like praying praying to Jesus, but not. But their heart is not. But their heart is. Yeah. Right. There's no repentance. It's just. They give lip service to God. You know, they might show up on Sunday or, or whenever and, you know, they go through the motions but their lives aren't different. Their heart's not different. They don't have a desire to follow God. So yeah, we're talking about each one sins but who are those who are in Christ and all of their prayers will be answered in accordance with their need. Um, sometimes, all the time, God knows exactly what we need. So sometimes our you know, the requests are answered yes or no, but it's for our best. Um, where the the one who's outside of Christ who, you know, and keep in mind when it talks about that, you know, we see that in Psalms and Proverbs, this is talking to the people of Israel. These are talking about the people who know Yahweh, the covenant keeping God, and yet not all of them truly believe in him and love him. And so even though they're born Jewish and they may be circumcised and they, You know, they may partake in the feasts and the festivals and all these different things. It's all external. There's no heart change. They still have no love for God in their heart. And so they're identified by their sin and not by their Savior. Sarah? Yeah, I was just going to say the key comes down
0: to the heart, like God's Spirit. Like, um, for the unbeliever, they don't have the Spirit of God. Their heart is not changed. But once God changes their heart, they are able to call upon the Lord and be saved because God's Spirit has worked in their heart and now their prayers can be heard in the sense that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And for the believer, like if they're praying about circumstances, not about salvation, Mm -hmm. God does all things for good, so his providence, whether he answers their question, yes or no, it's for their good. Mm -hmm.
1: Erica.
0: I was also thinking about how um, there can be somebody who goes to church, who, you know, takes communion, but if they don't have, like, they could be apostates. Like, Mm -hmm. their hearts could be deceiving them, where they Mm -hmm. think that they're Christians, but, like, we don't label a Christian by somebody who goes to church. We label a Christian by, you know, um, well, God knows the heart. We can't really say who's not a Christian, who's saved, who's not saved.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, you know, Ultimately, God knows the heart, and we don't. I mean, we do try to discern as best we can by the fruit. I mean, that's what we're told. Um, but it's, that's a weighty matter. Is that helping? It's a good question. Yeah, no, that like that, that was all very, very helpful. Excellent. Very yeah. good. All right. So we finally got a, some questions, some interaction, and now we're done. <laughs> done. <laughs> like you guys are just one step ahead. All right. What's that okay (laughs) questions yeah (laughs) so it's now you it's on you um (laughs) it's a question that wasn't all right well thank you very much Uh, i hope this has been helpful we will uh pick it up again next week so we'll just close in prayer to close this portion and then we'll we'll spend our time in prayer and uh, praise
0: And I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.